is Boom Goddess Radio, igniting inspiration in primetime women. We are Jennifer Davis Page, B.B. Peters, and Dr. Andrea Gould. Hello, everyone. We are the hosts of Boom Goddess Radio. B.B. Peters, Jennifer Davis Page, and Andrea Gould Marks, and we are introducing a new segment we're calling The Real Gems of Tucson. As many of you know, every year Tucson hosts the world-famous International Gem Show, where Tucson becomes a jeweled playground for the collectors and merchants of gems and minerals. Over the years of living here in the beautiful Sonoran Desert, we've learned that Tucson is also an attractor and home to a treasure trove of writers, authors, artists, and all sorts of talented folks who will be featuring in segments such as today's. Like each of us gems, the blue-eyed BB who sparkles like an amethyst. I should really be amethyst because, you know, I was born in February, okay? And, uh, and Jennifer, who is a smooth golden nugget and our resident psychic and visionary, carrier of the crystal ball, Dr. Andrea. <laughs> Well, and we're so happy to be here and to be starting this new format and new adventure. And we can't wait to be talking with our very first guest in just a moment. I'm really excited to talk to Gail. She's been, uh, you know, she's, she's just one of those artists around town that everybody talks about whenever she comes out with a book. Everybody is looking forward to the publishing of it. And so I am so excited about the about. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm very excited about talking with her about this new project. She's a real gem. And here is one of the real gems of Tucson, Ms. G. Davies Jandry. G. Davies Jandry, also known as Gail Davies Jandry, is an accomplished author. We know from personal experience, a particularly gifted gardener, cook, community volunteer, wife, and mother to two sweet creatures, dog Tito and cat Goldie. We're thrilled to be shining a light on Gail and her masterful work and induct her to be the very first real gem of Tucson in our series by the same name. Gail has lived in Tucson, Arizona for well over half her life. She refers to herself as the best Southwest fiction writer you have never heard of. Well, we're on a mission to change all that right now. That will happen. Gail, welcome. Welcome to our show and our podcast. We're so glad that you're here. Well, I thank you for inviting me. It's going to be a lot of fun, I hope. It will be a lot of fun. So let's begin with why you describe yourself as the best Southwest fiction writer you've never heard of. What's that all about? Well, it's because I think um, I've now written, this is my fifth novel uh, published by small independent publishers. Um, I get lots of great feedback. My work is all well-reviewed by professional reviewers as well as people who read it, but the sales continue to be pretty low. So I figure that means that I don't have a very wide audience. 
Well, we are here to expand that, not only in Tucson, but in Arizona, in Phoenix, and worldwide. Welcome again. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, your most recent book. It's called Deep Breathing, and one that I have personally read and adore. Uh, can you briefly describe what deep breathing is about? Yes, I can. Uh, we start off at the beginning of the book with Abby, the main character, who is the CEO and founder of a nonprofit called GIMPS, Serving GIMPS. And the mission of her work is to provide support services and employment opportunities for people who, given with a little bit of help, can join the workforce and become productive contributors to society. So in the beginning of the book, she is being interviewed by local TV about her business, and the law of unexpected consequences ensues. There are three key people who are watching this interview. And one of them is a self-proclaimed angel of mercy who believes Abby is in need of his very special services. So the book is what I call a literary suspense, which means it's character-driven. Uh, the plot, rather than being determined by, say, me, at some point the plot is determined by the characters. Um, so, Abby is the main character. She has cerebral palsy. Her cousin, another important character, Faye, is homeless. So, both homelessness and disability are central to the plot. And tell us a little bit about how did you develop these characters? From people that you've met in Tucson, from people in your life, from news, your own imagination? How? Well, years ago, my husband and I had a foster daughter who had cerebral palsy. She was very physically handicapped, and she grew into a remarkable and independent woman. Though my character, Abby, is not my former foster daughter, her characteristics, her physical characteristics, are, are um, informed by this woman's physical characteristics. So that was one thing. Um, also, for oh, nearly 30 years, I was a teacher of the disabled. So um, I have a pretty good familiarity with disability. Um, in addition, uh, I volunteer for Sister Jose's Women's Center. I actually started volunteering there after uh, I finished this book. But prior to that, um, I read lots of great articles in our Arizona Daily Star, which is one of the places I go when I want to find out what's going on in town. And I read about uh, Caridad Community Kitchens and their work with helping people become employable. Um, Camp uh, Bravo, which no longer exists, but at one time was a uh, place for homeless visitor, uh, veterans to stay. And uh, also Sister Jose's Women's Center. I learned about them. You know, it was startling to um, get to the word gimps in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I read more into the book, I became much more comfortable with that word. Mm -hmm. And I really thank you for sort of normalizing the disabled condition in my mind. Yes, well, I wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't 
call people gimps myself, but my character Abby did, and that was something that my former foster daughter did as well. And I think for Abby, it was a way to kind of thumb her nose a little bit at those people who were afraid to look at her, uh, wanted to categorize her, wanted to um, uh, limit her by her disability. I felt so close to Abby. I, I felt her life evolve. I felt her uh, concern for humanity. Uh, you did a masterful job of bringing the characteristics of her character as well as others out so that the reader, like myself, can connect with it. Um, do you, when you begin to write a book, do you have a vision in your mind about the audience that you're writing for? What goes on in your mind? I, my only audience when I write is me. Uh, I have to please me. And I am, uh, I'm not easy to please. I work very hard um, to write the kind of book that I would like to read myself. Well, I just want to get back to Abby for a little bit. Uh, she's the heroine of the story, and as you said, she was born with cerebral palsy. She's reading a motivational book, and in Chapter 2, titled How to Craft Your Life, she discovers that, according to the book's author, she's responsible for her own happiness, in theory, she agrees with that. What a brilliant question you pose without asking. And that question is, can a person with a severe disability actually craft their own life? Aren't they limited from the get-go? So, um, Abby would argue against the term disability, and it's hard for, for us to, to put that term behind us, but she hates the term disability, and she doesn't much care for differently abled either, or any of the terms that define and by definition limit. So when asked what she would call herself, she simply says, Abby. And what she's saying, and what I would say, is that everyone has limitations. But no one should be defined by those limitations. For example, the man who is the employee of the month at Safeway, for instance, he's the employee of the month, rather than the guy with Down syndrome. You really open up the hearts of the reader and the listener. Uh, so thank you for having that underlying message in your book. The other uh, item I want to talk about relative to deep breathing, your newest novel, is the idea of karma tea. I was so fascinated by it because I'm such a fan of inspiring quotes. And you talk about karma tea, and you'll talk a little bit more about it now, but one of the ones that really stuck with me was when she, uh, it's like a, a fortune cookie, right? So the one that she talks about is avoidance of pain is not the path to joy. I just want to quote that all over the place. What a delightful way it is of grabbing onto something hopeful. How did the idea of karma tea come to you? Okay, but before I forget to say this, she reads this 
And her next comment is, yes, the avoidance of pain is not the path to joy, but it is the path to the avoidance of pain. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so true. Which is so true. Yeah. Uh, The whole whole yoga, uh, the whole karma tea thing came because I drink yoga tea. And yoga tea has these little aphorisms on on the little tags. And I read those all the time. And I thought, oh, now that is a really good way to have Abby and her uh, office manager reflect on their lives. And so uh, that was part of that. As far as that particular uh, phrase goes, I have no idea. Every night I sit down before going to bed, I have a glass of wine, I sit in the dark. I have a pad of paper by me and I write things down. Now, whether I had that thought, we're talking now two, three years ago, or whether I just recalled it, I had maybe read it someplace else, but it was one of those thoughts that came to me and I wrote down. Oh gosh, so fantastic. And then, you know, the other thing I wanna talk about is the tactile feeling of, of the book. I love how it feels, I love how the cover feels, and we living here in Tucson are particularly inspired by the cover because you have this amazing mural. And what inspired you to choose the Desert Goddess Mural, which is on the Tucson Warehouse and Transfer Company's building? Yeah, it's a beautiful photograph, and it was taken by a a local photographer by the name of Dennis Boyd. And um, I want to say that Abby in our book, lives within a few blocks of this uh, iconic and beautiful mural by Rock Martinez. And she goes, as she wheels herself in her electric wheelchair to work, she passes the agave goddess every time, every day. Um, and if you've seen the mural, you can, it's easy to say that she has a very sultry expression, but it's enigmatic. We don't really know what she is thinking. And so uh, that lends itself to Abby's interpretation, which varies according to her mood. So the agave goddess is a useful barometer for Abby's emotional state. Mm. Mm. A barometer for our emotional state. Dr. Andrea could have a few (laughs) words about that. She can project onto it based on how she's feeling Mm -hmm. that day, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. fabulous. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful way to go to work in the morning. Mm. A little self-understanding. Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) I think it depends a lot on how you slept the night before. You know, we take so much for granted in our own non-GIMP lives. Um, And the advice that Abby takes from her reading is to keep a sharp eye out for hidden opportunities to make her own happiness. Mm -hmm. In what ways do you think the eyes must be different for people with disabilities? Hmm. Well, I can't answer that question except to say that all of us have challenges. Um, everyone has their own particular view of their place in the world based on the stuff we're born with at birth, the experiences and opportunities that present themselves throughout our lives. And so I would just have to say that not everybody can be the CEO of a nonprofit. Not everybody can be a race car driver, a housekeeper, or a boom goddess for that matter. But um, I think that 
everyone has their own view of their place, and that's what they try to live up to. Thank you. So as one of the final questions, um, we'd like to ask Gail to read a paragraph from her book. Please do, Gail. Okay, let me give you a little context. Um, this is a paragraph. We're in Faye's mind and her point of view, and Faye is Abby's cousin. Uh, they lived together when they were children. At one point, they were very close. Not so much now. Faye has come on hard times. Uh, she is homeless. She has a son that has been removed from her custody, and she's been working to try to reunite with her son. For over nine months now, she had worked the program, gone to parenting, gone to work training classes, done her urine drops, and filled out countless job applications, all so she could get her son back. But without a job, that would never happen. With each passing month, her hopes faded, and with that, there was a bit of relief. If there was no hope, that she might succeed, she could stop trying. Day after day, she tried so hard, but other than the pitiful seed money, now totaling $37 and change, and a bike she might earn in some unpredictable future, there was nothing to show for it. I was so moved by that piece because one might think that with hopes fading, you would become more anxious because you would become more uncertain about what's to happen. Yet Faye felt relief as her hopes faded. How were you inspired to see that losing hope is a relief? Well, for one thing, this is a sad moment in Faye's life, actually. But to answer your question, I'd say I was inspired by personal experience. I give up. We've all said it. It's probably the last thought a drowning woman has. But it's also surrender. And sometimes we think that if we can just be patient and work hard enough, we will eventually attain some desirable outcome. Sometimes giving up that hope, surrendering that hope, allows us to move on to things we can actually attain. I think that's beautiful. so. I think yes. that's so true. We're all nodding our heads. Yes. So beautifully right. said, right? right? And it's and it's so so. We put ourselves under so much pressure. And it's just one of the gifts that is a takeaway for me from this amazing book. And so the book is called Deep Breathing. Is by G. Davies Jandry, and in just a little while we will find out why Gail uses that name. Welcome back. We are the Boom Goddess Trio here, B.B. Peters, Jennifer Davis-Page, and myself, Andrea Goldmarks, and we're so pleased to be sitting here with Gail Jandry, G. Davies Jandry, J-A-N-D-R-E-Y, and we're talking about her fabulous books, both of which uh, B.B. and I, well, two of which B.B. and I have read, and the one that I read was called Journey Through an Arid Land, and I must tell you how much I love two things. One was reading, because I listened to so many books on Audible that it was a pleasure to find a book that I could read at night before I go to sleep and stay interested. Mm -hmm. 
The second was being from New York, I really don't know the details of the journey that we hear about all the time over arid land from Mexico to our own Tucson. So I just wanted to let you know how much I loved your writing. And that was a fabulous experience for me. So how did you come to write Journey Over Arid Land, Gail? Um, Well, this story, probably more than any that I've ever written, uh, evolved from current events. First of all, this and this is a number of years, because this was written in when? This is published in, what, 2016, maybe? And, um, of course, it was a number of years in the, in the process of writing and getting it published. But at the time, we were getting lots of reports of migrants dying in the desert. There was news all the time about... Uh, no more deaths and the Samaritans. Uh, that was the first part. There again, Arizona Daily Star. Uh, the second was in March of 2010, a rancher on the border of uh, Mexico and Arizona by the name of Rob- Robert Krentz uh, was murdered on his ranch. And Krentz was a very good rancher. He was a community member who often helped migrants as they crossed his property, he gave them water. He offered first aid when needed. It was immediately assumed that the killer was from Mexico. And it was claimed that tracks were followed from the scene of the murder all the way to the border. Well, that's 15 miles approximately over very rough, rough rocky terrain. I'm very familiar with that terrain. Um, that was one thing. And there were some other things that just didn't, didn't seem to jibe with me. There were many holes in that theory that the, the, the murderer, were, murderer was from Mexico. Um, and that interested me. So uh, I filled in those holes, at least fictionally, in Journey Through an Arid Land. The third influence was the subject of human trafficking, particularly the trafficking of children. And that was an incredibly moving aspect um, and something, again, that I didn't have firsthand knowledge of. And I really felt your description of the characters was so, like Bibi was describing things that were heart-rending in the Deep Breathing book. The, the saga of Adriana, Adriana mm-hmm. was so heart-rending and so familiar, knowing so many Mexican children that live here now that was just amazing. Your ability to pace and parse the story is so impressive to me because with each segment, and there's a a very interesting cast of characters. Some of them are in law enforcement, others are residents, others are members of the Mexican family that is making its way to the dad who's in Phoenix, and they make themselves, um, they get themselves across on the same piece of land that you're describing, the one that's fraught with what's going on with this solving of this murder mystery. But the family that lives on the land, Weona and her mother, Emma, the description of Emma as a demented elder person and myself as the daughter of now deceased father who had dementia was so amazingly apt. It was just incredible. Again, your experience in drawing those characters, particularly Emma? Well, um, 
I have to say that as your parents age, as your friends age, you witness that personally. I don't think any of us have, have, uh, can get to the age we are now without knowing friends and family members who have suffered from dementia. And so it was so accurate. I mean, right down to the breathing, right down to the dozing, right down to the dreaming that Emma was going through. And her confusion about where she was and who was who was just another whole sub-story that was just fascinating to me. I'm wondering if you write each person's story out first and then match them together in suspenseful ways, that's how it flows. You know, you'll give a little hint of the character in action and then you'll flip to another character and yet the story never loses its integrity nor its suspense. Can you comment on that? Um, I usually move forward as a piece, I have written with the whole in, cast. With the whole cast, I have written in the manner that you suggested in the in the my first novel, um, A Garden of Aloes. I wrote because there were four very distinct voices. I wrote each voice, and I tried to get it published that way. And I got an, the interest of a wonderful, remarkable woman um, in New York, and she said, "You know, I just I love this book, but I don't think I can sell it." And then she called me back the next day, and she said, is there any way you could shuffle them together? <laughs> and I said, oh, absolutely. And she said, when can you have it to, for me? And I said, oh, I think I can have it for you in two weeks with the miracle of the computer. So I had, that was my first agent and, um, and my first book. But that was the only time I've done that. Now, with all the other ones, I move ahead as a piece. That doesn't mean that I don't go backward and I don't go forward, but... Um, I, I, I write it as, a, as kind of a whole. Were there interviews involved, Gail? Yes, there were many. Um, I interviewed three ranchers for the book. Uh, one of them told me all about horses. One of them told me all about cattle. Uh, Randy Armenta of the Luna A Ranch allowed me to watch calves being branded and vaccinated. I had a ringside seat right behind the squeeze chute uh, for that one. Um, Cameron Henson at the time was the, border, <coughs> the chief border patrol agent of the Tucson sector. I interviewed him on many occasions, and I could not have gotten much of my information from any other person. Um, I also interviewed uh, for uh, uh, deep breathing the guy who sells the newspapers on the median. It used to be legal. It's no longer le uh, legal. And I went to Camp Bravo and interviewed people there. So yes, I do a lot of interviewing. Your writing really highlights the complexity of all that's involved in the dark side of Southern Arizona. And it's an amazing um, look into really the culture here and how mixed it was. So thank you so much for writing this. And uh, I can't wait to read, I can't wait to swap with, with Bibi and read Deep Breathing and all the others because I think you're fantastic. I thank you very much. You're welcome. Welcome back to Boom Goddess Radio. We're in the studio today with uh, my partners, Dr. Andrea Goulmarks and B.B. Peters, and with the amazing author, Gail uh, uh, Davies Jandry. Gail, just a few more questions. Um, tell me, why do you publish under G. Davies Jandry rather than Gail? Uh, well, when I first started publishing uh, 
short stories, that was mm, now 20 years ago, um, Gail had a few little poems published, but Gail could not get her short stories published. I wrote one that was from a male point of view, and just for the heck of it, I signed it G. Davies Jandry. Boom, it was published. Um, and after that, I just determined that I would write under G. Davies Jandry because there is, there was then, and I believe there still is, a lot of uh, a lot of prejudice against number one women writers and women of a certain age. And I will add to that, uh, I spoke with my then agent, Susan Zeckendorf, um, that you know I didn't think that people thought that. Um, uh, folks read West of the Mississippi. <laughs> and she said, oh, dear, West of the Hudson. Oh. <laughs> so so I, I thought that that was a very interesting comment about, um, about just the world of publishing. I do believe that that has changed uh, since that time, but that's where we were. Good reason. When I became G. Davies Jandry. You said earlier that you prefer to work with small publishers. Why do you prefer to work with small, smaller publishers? There are lots of advantages in working with small publishers, but I would like to work with a big publisher because a big publisher, you can actually get some money. Small publishers are wonderful because they're flexible. Um, and, um, in the case of Fireship Press, I influenced the covers, the three covers that they have made. Uh, they asked me, what do I want to see on the cover? Uh, they do a remarkable job of taking my words and, and, and actually putting them on the page. Um, so that's a big advantage. Uh, just the responsiveness. Everything happens a lot quicker. You don't have to wait months to hear whether they've accepted your book. You don't have to wait 18 months to have something actually appear in book form. Um, uh, it's much more personal and um, just a lot easier. Now tell our listeners where they can buy your books and can they be electronically downloaded? They can be electronically downloaded through Amazon. Um, They're available at Antigone's locally as well as mostly books. Please give our listeners your website so that they can uh, go to and find out more about your, your amazing books. GailJandry.com. Very simple. The spelling's not so simple. Gail is G-A-Y-L-E. Jandry, J-A-N-D-R-E-Y, all lowercase. And uh, what's, what's next for you? Are you currently working on something? I am indeed. And um, this one is another uh, literary thriller. Um, it is, there is a mystery. It reprises Detective Marie Stransky, for people who've read, read my last two books. Detective Stransky is the ever-pregnant detective uh, who we just get a little taste of and now she is not pregnant anymore but she is breastfeeding and um, I loved her and I wanted to do more about her and I knew that she was a very she had a very complex past uh, because even when I have a, a, a minor character I imagine uh, their story all my characters have a story whether it appears on the page or not um, this time Marie Stransky is central to the story. Um, and there are, there's a serial killer involved, and in addition, uh, probably a hate crime involved. 
Um, and that's the mystery part of it. But also, her marriage is falling apart after the birth of her fifth daughter. <gasps> wow. Now, wow. I have a lot wow. of friends that liked, like Kendall. Are your books available on Kendall? Yes. Are there any local bookstores that you want to talk about? You did, you did mostly books, but there was one other that... A- Antigone's. Antigone's. Okay, I apologize. I didn't hear that. Now, other books by G. Davies Jandry that are wonderful to read are Garden of Aloes and Journey Through an Arid Land, which we spoke about this morning. Gail, I can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough for joining us at the table today and introducing all of your marvelous novels to our listeners. Uh, do you have any, we broadcast in uh, Radio Phoenix, and you will be aired there on Saturday. Can you tell me on the Boom Goddess Hour, every Saturday from 1 until 2 o'clock, are there any bookstores that you'd like to note? So the people in, in uh, Phoenix can just go online and get your books. Great. That's good information. Okay, Thank you very much. We are so glad that you are here. Is there any other any other final comments that you would like to add? Uh, no, it's just a very wonderful opportunity for me. It's you know it, once you get a um, a grandmother talking about her grandchildren, it's it's always fun for her, and it's the same thing for a writer. We we love to talk about our 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 children, our grandchildren, our books. Well, you know we they have, have characters. We have listeners all over the world, so let's. Let's hope they listen, and let's hope they download and, and buy your books. And let's change that myth about writers west of the Hudson yeah. River. <laughs> That's now forever changed. Thank you. Kate. Thank you. Other books by G. Davies Jantry that are wonderful reads are A Garden of Aloes and A Journey Through Arid Land, A Small Saving Grace, and the book, of course, that we spoke about today was Deep Breathing. Now, talk to us about your publisher. You are now being published with Fire Ship Press. That's correct. And do you want to say, you want to give them any kudos at all right now? Oh, absolutely. It's wonderful to work with a small press. Um, it, it, there's not a lot of money in it, I'll say that. But uh, they're very attentive, and um, it's very personal. Uh, things happen in a, a very timely manner. There's not a lot of waiting around as there is with uh, a larger press. So, yes, and they're, they're great to work with. Um, uh, Mary Lou Monahan is the owner of that press, and she's done a fabulous job. It's been, it's been in existence now, oh, at least a decade, that, which that's, that's unusual for a small press. 